Good morning. We're back to John's Gospel after a couple of weeks break. And we are in John chapter 16 this morning. And we're going to be looking at the second half, which is John 16, verses 16 to 33. And my title is, In a Little While, Your Sorrow Will Turn to Joy. And my goal this morning is that we will receive the kind of joy that Jesus is talking about It's a joy that's complete and that no one can take from us. We receive this joy that Jesus is talking about in this passage. It's a joy that's complete and it's a joy that no one can take from us. So what my plan is for today is to start off by giving a bird's eye view of the passage and we're going to to look at the, the outline then we're going to zoom down in and expand each section so we see how the passage works and what is going on, what the flow is in this passage. And then we're going to see what is this key new revelation that Jesus is bringing in this passage. And this is where I think we're really going to... It's, you're, going to you're going to be... Um, this is going to speak to you because this is, this is really um, a powerful word that Jesus has here. And then we're going to end by talking about going from sorrow to joy. How do we go from a sorrow to joy? And that's our goal, if you remember... So, uh, let's have a look at a bird's eye view. So, just, oh no, sorry. First of all, I'm going to give us an overview very, very quickly of where we've been so far. John fits into two halves. What chapters 1 to 12 we call the Book of Signs, and chapters 13 to 21 we call the Book of Glory. The first half is Jesus' public ministry, and the second half is his death, resurrection, and ascension. So, uh, we're coming to the end of the Book of Signs right now. I'm sorry, we're, we're beginning the Book of Glory right now. And the Book of Glory be- begins with a meal with his disciples. And then we have um, new teaching from Jesus in verses chapters 14 through to 17. New teaching, and it's, this is just private to the disciples. Just with them and uh, uh, no one else is there, and it's some of the most amazing teaching in the whole of the scriptures. Just these chapters, 14, 15, 16, and 17. We're coming to the end of that. We're just finishing 16, so we're coming to the climax of that new teaching from Jesus. And then the, the other half of it is his arrest, crucifixion, and resurrection. Then the book ends with another meal with the disciples. So... I'm going to quickly summarize the last six weeks and then we're going to go on to this week. Uh, this, is the, this is the teaching that Jesus is giving just his disciples. So we start with Jesus, the God who will wash your feet and love you to the end. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he said, actually, I'm revealing God to you. This is a revelation of God because a father is like me. We are the same. I'm a revelation of him. This is extraordinary. And then we see Jesus' empathy and unselfishness that um, he is caring for his disciples and he's seeing their trouble even when he's about to face the cross. And yet he's looking empathically towards what they are about to go through. And then we have an invitation to step into this love between Jesus and the Father. That's just the most wonderful invitation there is. Just extraordinary. Then we, Jesus talks about this new life he's giving, and we get that wonderful picture of the vine. And 
being connected with the vine and how we can, as the, the life of Jesus flows into us, we can bring forth fruit. We can only live this new life through connection with Jesus. How are we connected? How does this actually work? We're connected as we step out in obedience to the prompting of Jesus. And as we step out, then this life flows into us. As we step out trying to follow him, not having the strength in ourselves to do it, his life flows into us. And this new life begins to grow in us. And then last time, I spoke about the promise of the spirit of truth and how Jesus says, we're better off with the spirit than with him actually being present. We may think it would have been wonderful to be with Jesus by Galilee, but actually what we have in the spirit is far better. So, we're ready now to look at this passage. And I'm going to go through this bird's eye view and then we're going to expand each part of it. So first of all, Jesus starts talking about a little while, in a little while, in a little while, and again in a little while. And he's not being specific. And he's just talking about these things that are going to happen in a little while. And the disciples get quite confused by this and say, what does this mean in a little while? And so we get a step Then they're confused. And Jesus, of course, he can see that they're confused. He can hear them saying this to one another. And so Jesus steps in and he first of all gives a picture language, speaks in picture language. And he says, this is going to be like a mother giving birth. What's going to happen? There's going to be pain and sorrow and then joy. And then he says, your joy will be complete. The Father will hear your prayers. And that's like the central revelation. We'll see that in a minute. And then he comes back and instead of giving picture language, he gives very plain language. I'm returning to the Father and he loves you. So instead of the picture of the mother and the baby and so on, very straightforward. And then we have, we're going back to a response from the disciples and they say, we're not confused anymore. We get it. We understand. You're not speaking in pictures anymore. You're telling us like it is. And the disciples respond like this. And then we end up by Jesus unpacking what he did right at the beginning with the in a little while. In very plain language. He says his time is coming and says what it is. But take courage. I have conquered the world. So that's the bird's eye view. What I'd like to do now is to just take that into the next level by expanding each section. So we start off within a little while and actually there's not much to expand. Jesus says, in a little while you will see me no longer. Again, in a little while you will see me. Well, the disciples, what is this about? Some of the disciples said to one another, what is the meaning of what he's saying? In a little while you will not see me. Again, in a little while you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father? So they kept saying, what is the meaning of what he says? In a little while, we don't understand what he's saying. One of the things to bear in mind is the disciples couldn't get their heads around a Messiah who was going to die until it happened. Well, until the resurrection. They just couldn't, no matter what Jesus said, they couldn't grasp it. And so all this stuff is very confusing to them. They, they, they don't have a, a mental model for what a Messiah should be like. Um, let's just expand the, the other disciples 
um, input here, down here, when they're no longer confused. His disciples said, look, now you're speaking plainly and not in obscure figures of speech. Now we know that you know everything and do not need anyone to ask you anything. Because of this, we believe you have come from God. So this is a contrast between the confusion that we see at the beginning with these disciples and that clarity they have at the end when they can see what's happening. Um, And uh, so, okay, so let's look at this part in the middle where it makes all the difference. What is it that changes the disciples' confusion to confidence and faith? What is it that does that? Let's expand then this middle section. Well, first of all, in C, we have picture language. Jesus explains what's going to happen in a little while, but he doesn't do it in plain language, it's in pictures. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask about these things. So he said to them, Are you asking each other about this that I said, In a little while you will see me, again in a little while you will see me? Sorry, you will not see me. Again, in a little while you will see me. I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will be sad, but your sadness will turn into joy. Now, he's not explaining it here, but he's giving a very important foundation for what's going to come next. And then he gives this um, amazing illustration. When a woman gives birth, she has distress because her time has come. But when her child is born, she no longer remembers the suffering because of her joy that a human being has been born into the world. And Jesus is comparing this to what he's going to go through and what the disciples are going to go through. So also you have sorrow now, But I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. If we were going to spend more time in these few verses, we would see that this image of a woman giving birth and then pain, sorrow and joy is actually um, reflects several places in Isaiah and Jeremiah where God is predicting that the the coming salvation that he's going to bring for the Messiah is going to be like this. So it could be that they'd, they echoed into that. At least later they would have picked up on that echo. So this is the picture language that Jesus, Jesus gives. This is what's going to happen. But then it brings the central point which brings their, is going to bring their sorrow to joy. <clears throat> At that time, you will ask me nothing I tell you the truth, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. And then he says it again, slightly different words, until now you've not not asked anything for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive it so that your joy may be complete. I'll read those again. At that time you will ask me nothing. This is when the Spirit has come after Jesus is raised. I tell you the truth, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, 
You have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. So this is what will bring them joy. And we're going to see that what they're going to see is that actually they've stepped in to a relationship with the Father that only Jesus had up to that point. And Jesus had alluded to this several times earlier. He'd spoken of, you know, um, my father loves you and, and uh, you know, because you love me. And, uh, and a few things in the previous sermons I've been showing you where Jesus is, is bringing them, inviting them into this relationship with the father. But now when it becomes tangible, when they actually see, wow, I can just ask this father and he gives me what I ask and it becomes a new reality for them. And this brings their joy to be full. So now he's going to, uh, going to repeat what he said earlier um, in plain language. So he'd given this image of a mother giving birth and how this would, you know, there'd be pain and suffering and then there would be rejoicing. Now he's going to give them something very, very plain. I have told you these things in obscure figures of speech. You know, that was the, the image of the mother and the baby. A time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in obscure figures, but will tell you plainly about the Father. At that time, you will ask in my name, and I do not say, or I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you dearly because you've dearly loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered into the world, but now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. So that last verse 28, is actually explaining the in a little while statement earlier in very plain language. Came from the Father, entered into the world, but now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. So um, let's just take a moment on these. Um, Verse 26 says, at that time you'll ask in my name, and I do not say I will ask the Father on your behalf. Now that's not saying that Jesus isn't interceding for us. He's not a high priest who's interceding for us. But what it's saying is that we don't have to pray to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you mind asking the Father if I could have this or he could do this? We don't do that. We can come straight to the Father. And Jesus is saying, like, you ask him, like, I can intercede with you, but like, you have the privilege as sons and daughters of coming straight to him. And I don't want you to feel you have to just go come through me. Um, my, but I have to pray on your behalf for everything. Um, and uh, for me, I think the key verse in this is verse 27. For the Father himself loves you dearly. Now I've translated that loves you dearly because it's a different word that's used in the other expressions where it says God loves us. So when it says God so loved the world, it's agapao, which is a Greek word that means a love that's not deserved, and it's purely it's a one-way love for, for, for that's just given freely. So if you were to, to see somebody begging on the street and you were to give them something, that might be agapao love. It's, it's just like undeserved, it's, it's a, a love that's given. Whereas the love that's talked about here is a phileo love, which is a love where you actually, the person is dear to you. So you wouldn't, like, that's not the case with the person on the street. You're not, like, giving, they're not dear to you. You're giving them something, and you may be very generous, but it's not because they're dear to you. Here, it's something, it's another level. And what it's saying here is that 
the relationship that we have with the Father is not like just he's giving us stuff because that's his character, but we're actually precious to him. And in fact, Jesus has used the same word earlier when he's, he's, he uses the word friends, because it's the same word as friends. Um, a friend would be like the noun, whereas this is the verb to do it. Um, uh, so Jesus says, I've, I, I'm calling you friends. And now I'm calling you my friends. You're not my servants, you're my friends. And when Jesus is doing that, he's bringing this kind of dear love into the equation. Now, this is so powerful to feel that God's love for us is not just because he's decided to be generous to some poor, pathetic creature. I mean, that is part of it. But it's more than that. It's because he actually enjoys us. He, we're actually dear to him. And he gets something from the relationship. That's the, that is the point of this particular word. It's not just a one-way thing, but the other person is getting something. Well, what could God possibly get from a relationship with me? Well, if I'm dear to him, he actually enjoys my company. Now, I am bowled over by this. I can, like, honestly, it brings tears to my eyes. I am absolutely amazed that God should have this attitude to me. But he does. This is what he says. And uh, he's, uh, he loves me dearly. And so this is the context that these words are coming. This, this father answering our prayers is not somebody grudgingly giving us stuff, but somebody who dearly loves us. And this is where the joy is coming from in this passage. It's coming from the fact we're now in a relationship with God which is such a sweet and dear relationship. And the, get, the, the answering our prayers is like, if you like, the evidence of it. That's a sign that it's real. It's, um, it's not just about the stuff we get from answers to prayer, but it's about the sign that he cares so much for us and he's attentive to us in this way. So, so um, let's, uh, let's just... Um, look at the last few verses. We actually just looked at those, but we'll look at them again. His disciples said, Look, now you're speaking plainly and not in obscure figures of speech. Now we know that you know everything and do not need anyone to ask you anything. Because of this, we believe <coughs> that you have come from God. So we're left then with the last part the last uh, point there, and we're going to see how it expands on this. Here is very, very minimal. In a little while you'll see me longer, in a little while you will see me. But now we have... Do you now believe? Look, a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each one to his own home, and I will be left alone, yet I'm not alone because my Father is with me, I have told you these things so that you may have peace in me. In the world you have trouble and suffering, but take courage, I have conquered the world. So that's the summary of the whole thing. And actually, this passage we're looking at today is the last part of actual teaching in this part of John, because he's going, Jesus is going to be praying now to the Father. So this, if you like, is the high point of the prayer, the, the teaching of Jesus is where he leaves it. It's where the climax where he gets to. And he leaves us, if you like, with the Father. He has done his work and he takes us and leaves us in this relationship with the Father where the Father loves us dearly and hears our, our requests, hears our prayers. <clears throat> so, 
Let's go back then. So our plan for today then was to have a bird's eye view of the passage, which we've just been doing, and then to look at the key new revelation from Jesus, which I'm going to expand on in a minute. We've begun to look at it. And then we're going to end by looking at how we actually go ourselves from sorrow to joy. So, let's see then the key new revelation from Jesus. Uh, We want, before we say this, before we talk about this, just before this revelation, Jesus is saying there are seasons of sorrow in our lives. And I want to acknowledge that because some of us have seasons of sorrow right now. Some of us are going through all kinds of things. Many in our world right now are going through seasons of sorrow. You may be going through sadness and hardship. And it's very important to understand that this is normal. This is part of the rhythm that Jesus is talking about. But he says, they will pass in a little while. And then the joy that comes afterwards will make us forget the sorrow. So he's laid down that principle just before he comes to the key new revelation. So what is this key new revelation? Um, I want to say that uh, we, go, we can pick up on three verses. Verse 23, I tell you the truth, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Ask and you will receive it, so that your joy may be complete. And then, moving to verse 27, for the Father himself loves you dearly, because you dearly, you have dearly loved me. So, that feeling of being loved by the Father is key to this new revelation that Jesus has for us. But what this leaves us with is a a question, how do we put this into practice? What does this actually mean? Um, So I can absolutely see the joy that it it would bring to me um, to have my prayers answered, just to hear like I can make a prayer and it's answered, and that brings joy, but that doesn't always happen. Like, we don't always have answers to prayer immediately every time. So what's going on here? What's why is it that what Jesus says doesn't seem to be an automatic thing? Um, so the only, the only condition that seems to be in these verses that we've got there is the verse in my name. In the, the, sorry, the uh, condition in my name. So he says in verse 23, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. So that seems to be the only condition. Uh, <clears throat> so In order to help us understand this, I want to look at a couple of other places in the writings of John where we see a similar, apparently very open promise made about answering prayer and and how the condition works. So, um, similar verses from John. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. Very similar. This is in the same set of teaching that we've been looking at. So it's just the previous chapter. Very similar 
that um, Jesus says, in my name, just the only condition. But then if we look at John's first epistle, 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now this is helpful because our real question is, what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? Now we, we tend to have a habit of adding in Jesus' name, Amen, to the end of our prayers. And there's nothing wrong with that. But none of the prayers in the New Testament are prayed like that. None of them have that attached to the end of them. So it must be something more than that. And what I'd like to do is to spend some time thinking about how we can actually pray in Jesus' name. Because that seems to be pretty crucial. So, to go back to our plan, a bird's eye view of the passage we did, the key new revelation from Jesus we've just been talking about, I now want to talk about from sorrow to joy, especially in answered prayer. And this is going to be the last point that we have today. Some practical suggestions. So, what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? And I'm going to make three suggestions about what is involved in praying in Jesus' name. And um, so the first one is we're praying with his authority. And we use this in society, like we've got the idea of somebody has some authority vested in them. Just an example, um, when when I conduct a wedding ceremony, there's a point where I pronounce them married, and these are the words I have to say. By virtue of the powers vested in me by the Marriage Act and the province of Ontario, I do hereby pronounce you married. So, um, Oliver and Adriana, you would have heard me saying those things and some other people as well. So, um, that, that is uh, the, the power vested in me. And with that authority, one can do something. And so that's the idea of, of having having authority, and I think that that is there, in an idea of authority being in there. Uh, the second thing is honouring somebody's name. You do it because you want their name to be honoured. And um, so I was trying to think of an example of this, when somebody's doing something completely for the benefit of another person. And uh, one example that came up was, uh, have you heard of the, the, the poet Emily Dickinson? Well, she, when she died, her sister discovered... Um, huge numbers of handbound volumes of poetry she didn't even know her sister had written and so there were and in that there were 1800 of, of the most amazing poems and her sister Lavina published these poems why for the name of her sister to to lift up the name of her sister which of course it did because otherwise we wouldn't have heard of Emily Dickinson so the the idea of doing something in someone's name being to to bring honor to them like to to, to lift them up Uh, the third example that I've got is um, um, according to the plans and will so we might do something in somebody's name because that is the that's the will that's the plan and that's the idea that came in that last quotation I gave you from, um, from 1 John, where we saw the, the, where it said, um, um, oh, I just don't have that in front of me right now. Um, oh, yes, here it is. Uh, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, 
that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So what will be a time when there's an authority according to some sort of plan? Well, the idea I came up with, um, imagine that um, uh, I worked for the city and there was a new drive for workplace safety because of maybe accidents happening on construction sites. And um, in the name of this new drive for workplace safety, I could go to a building site and I could say, look, in the name of this, this policy that we have, you have to close until you've made these changes. And so what I'm doing is I am doing it in the name of the city because it's the plan. I'm, I'm, like, I'm just somebody who's bringing forward this plan that the city has made. And this is good. This is a good um, uh, suggestion because this is, like, fits in very much with how praying in God's will is we're play, we're praying according to his plan because we want our prayer to carry forward the big project that he has of bringing lost souls to him of building his kingdom of doing amazing things in this world and that's the big plan and doing something in his name or according to his will is means the same as advancing that plan so that's that's my three my my three examples and what I'd like to do is to um, give you, to, to just give you a quick checklist for what we can, how we can evaluate prayer. So the first one is, is this for selfish reasons or for Jesus? So am I, why am I praying this prayer? Am I praying it just because purely for my sake? You know, um, I would really like a Lamborghini. You know, um, there's no reason why I need one. But, you know, maybe God, please, may somebody give me a Lamborghini, you know something like that. Um, it's purely for selfish reasons. Um, there might be a reason why God needs to give me a Lamborghini. I don't want to rule that out, but, but you know what I'm saying. Um, so that's the first check we can have. The second one is, would this lift up Jesus' name if it were answered? And this, I'm sure you can see, is really, really important. Um, would this bring honour to Jesus? And we can see that in some of the Psalms, David is praying, please heal me, and if you do, I will praise your name in the temple. And he's saying, I will give honour to you. If you heal me, I'll give honour. And that's that's a crucial part, I think, of the prayer, that we need to understand that when we're praying, the idea is that this prayer would bring honour to God. Now, there's a couple more I've got which are not essential, but um, I think that they're really helpful. The next one is, has Jesus revealed that he wants me to pray this kind of prayer? Now, there may be prayers that Jesus, they're in Jesus' will, but they're not, like he hasn't specifically told me. But there are quite a lot of things in the scripture where Jesus has said, pray for this. And I want to suggest to you, if Jesus has said, pray for this, then, you know, that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good point in its favour. And it's worth thinking, you know, what, what prayers does Jesus suggest that I be praying? And the last one, which again isn't essential, but it's um, important, is, is the Spirit specifically leading me to pray for this because God has willed it? And um, you can think of an example um, where um, Peter and John are in the temple and they see a man who's, who's, who's lame and they must have had a prophetic word that God wanted to heal this man because they said, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And he just did. And that can happen. I don't know if you've ever felt, it may not be like a powerful prophetic word, but just some sense that, yes, Jesus, Jesus is going to answer this prayer. Some kind, of, some kind of feeling from the Spirit 
that you are to pray for this. And uh, you're just a feeling that, yeah, and it may not be a certainty, um, but it's just like a feeling that you have a burden. That's an expression people have. God has given me a burden to pray for this. And so I want to suggest that if God has given you a burden to pray for it, then it may well be that you know, God wants to answer this and it's, uh, it's something you should definitely pray for. Now I want to say that I don't think we should spend a long time analysing our prayers against this checklist. There's not, like, we're not told to do that in Scripture and that's the last thing I want to do. Um, but I want to suggest to you some prayers that I've been praying and you can, you can run them by my checklist here. So, um, uh, so okay, here's one. Uh, God, please forgive me for what I just did. What do you think about that? Is that? What do you think? Yeah, yeah, okay. That's that. That like uh, that's got a number three there because Jesus has told me I must pray that kind of prayer in the Lord's prayer. So I think I can pray that with confidence that I know that He's going to forgive me when I pray that prayer. Um, please, uh, please, may I have enough food for tomorrow? Is that a prayer? Is that a good kind of prayer? Yes, again, he's told me, you know, to pray that my father knows what I need and I can bring those prayers to him. That's very definitely, like you can look at Sermon on the Mount and so on, very definitely. Um, but would that prayer bring glory to Jesus if it was answered? Well, it depends, you know. If I just keep it to myself, then maybe not. But um, if I then say, you know, tell my neighbour, look, I, was, I didn't have anything and I did this and, and God answered. And um, so there are stories of Christians in the past where God has amazingly supplied their food when they didn't have any. And they, we know about it because they've, they've, they've written, they've, they've spoken about it and we've heard their story. So that is an important aspect when we pray to bring glory to God. Um, so... Um, the the next one I've got is um, often when I get back home from church, um, we, Anne and I pray we'll get a parking space near the house to help us help us unload the vehicle. And now, what about that? Well, is it for selfish reasons or for Jesus? Is it this just that I don't want to carry the stuff too far? Well, I figure I'm doing God's work here. Um, you know, uh, I want to, Him to help me do His work. I've I've been at church and. No, this would be, um, it would be good to have it more convenient. Um, would it lift up Jesus' name if it were answered? Well, I actually have specifically, oh, by the way, I want to say, God very, very often answers this prayer, sometimes quite remarkably. <laughs> um, like one time where actually somebody pulled out as I was coming up and I was able to pull in. Um, uh, and I actually have told people about this to give praise to God's name. Um, Jesus hasn't told me specifically in the New Testament that I should pray for parking spots. No, so I'm not worried about three or four um, because I think, you know, this, I'm happy with this. The next one, um, we visited a, a, a restaurant and um, the it was a, the owner's Korean and she probably had some idea. She's not a Christian, but probably some like connection with understanding of the gospel, and she was in tears because. She hadn't had any um, orders that evening. And like, how was she going to keep the restaurant open at this time? She was worried about going bankrupt. How would she pay the rent, she said to us. And then because she knows, she knows that we're Christians, she said, would you pray for me? And so Anne prayed for her right then and there. Um, 
not for self so we look at our checklist it wasn't for selfish reasons it was because we wanted her to see that God answers prayer would this lift up Jesus name if it were answered well actually before Anne finished praying the telephone went with an order um has Jesus revealed he wants me to pray this kind of prayer uh, not specifically but yeah the same kind generally that kind of prayer um Spirit is the spirit specifically leading me to pray? Well, in some ways, yes, because I believe that um, that that opportunity was created by the spirit. Like, if a non-believer asked you to pray for them, you know, that that prompting that must have been the spirit that prompted them to ask to pray for them. So, so um, we prayed, and an answer came immediately. But we will continue to talk to her. Uh, we, we, when we next see her, we'll you know, ask her how this is going and we'll tell her we're continuing to pray for her. Um, uh, what about salvation for a friend or relative? You know, I think that's just pretty clear. This is, this is for God's glory. We can pray for that. Um, healing for someone? Exactly the same thing. Uh, we were praying because we want, ultimately, we want them to be healed, but we want Jesus' name to be glorified through this. And, and Jesus has told us he wants to, us to pray this kind of prayer. Um, uh, what about a, a raise at work? What about a promotion? Well, that kind of, it's a bit more difficult because that might be um, just purely because we want more money, just because to go on better vacations or something. Or it might be because we want to use it for God's work or for whatever, or maybe we need it. We need it to survive. So it's a bit more complicated. Praying for something like that is more complicated, but it, but it may well fit in with this general thing. So, um, so uh, one more thing. What about praying for a job? Well, absolutely. We pray. Jesus has told us that to pray for our daily, you know, in the Lord's Prayer, Give us this day our daily bread. You know, it's it's a prayer and having a job is part of that. So absolutely, we pray for that. So I want to end just by saying, pray. Pray, and I've got three points. Jesus wants you to have joy from answered prayer. So I want you to pray so that you get joy. Because he wants you to have joy. So pray that you get this joy. None of our prayers are perfect, but if you don't pray, you won't be able to have this joy from answered prayer. So pray. And the simple test I want to say is, does Jesus' get name get lifted up if this prayer is answered? That's like I've given you this checklist, but really this is the most important thing. Um, this is what it means to pray in his name. And so I want you to pray this coming week. And um, I, want, I want you in a week's time, to be able to talk about what God is doing in your life in by answering prayer. And I want to challenge all of New Life Church right now to make this a week of prayer so that we can enter into joy of seeing God's prayers answered. Are you up for that? Do you want to do that? Well, I'm going to close in a prayer now. And before I pray... We're going to analyze it to see if it's the kind of prayer that God will answer. So this is my prayer. I want to pray that each one of us prays more this week, has the joy of seeing prayer answered, and are able to lift up your name, Jesus, because of the answers. So how does this match up with our checklist? Am I praying this for selfish reasons, or am I praying it for Jesus? Well, 
I, obviously, I'm, this is not a selfish thing. I'm praying this for Jesus because of the way I've worded it. Um, would this lift up Jesus' name if it were answered? Well, absolutely, because that's the whole point of the prayer. The last line is we're able to lift up your name because of the answers. And my last test is, has Jesus revealed that he wants me to pray this kind of prayer? Well, yes, in this passage we've been looking at today. So I think I can score these... Um, a, a good um, a good um, grade on my prayer now. So if you would join me now, we're going to pray this prayer together and we're going to pray that we see some wonderful answers. Jesus, thank you that you've told us, you've given us these, these words now and you've directed us to pray to the Father. So Father, I ask you that each one of us here right now who's listening to this would pray more this week. I ask you that we will see the, your prayers answered and have the joy of knowing that you love us dearly and you hear us. May we have answers to prayer this coming week and may we able to be able to lift up your name, the name of God, the name of Jesus, because of these answers. We pray for this. We pray for encouragement for each of us. We pray for each of us to go from sorrow to rejoicing, that our joy will be full, our joy will be complete. We pray this for the sake, for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I look forward to hearing some answers from you and to continue to hear answers and hopefully you can hear some answers from me as well in a week's time.